And as I said, the novel was slowly coming back to me. I had not asked for a pause on <laughs> Okay, well, it's nice to meet you all. Hi. Hi. I saw ghosts on the way to school. I stopped. <laughs> now, there's an accident. Uh, just a fender bender, but an accident on uh, 128 South. Sorry? <laughs> it could very well be. Um, so, okay, so mass for psychological ambiguity, do you agree? I'm not sure. <laughs> Good answer. How come you change where you're sitting? It's just so weird. That's one of the new perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's go back to the end of chapter two. Everyone's finished now, right? Yes. Um, Rachel? No? <laughs> it's, it's, you can give spoilers and I really don't mind. Yeah, but I mind. That's the thing. It's, it's like, um, that's, why, that's why people write and that's why people teach, because it doesn't matter whether you don't care. Um, that's why you get graded, because we care. Um, okay, it's okay. End of chapter two. Um, so remember, this is that was that's his way. I mean, um, the masters of whom did you speak? That part. Um, so then she has another question, which is what? Do you remember? Did you see anything? There's that, but then there's the question of what happened to Miss Jessel um, and Mrs. Gross, who's already a little bit nervous about um, her conversations, or at least about the moments when the governess is questioning her, seems a little bit nervous about that. Um, and um, what happens in that conversation? I'm just pulling up a copy, but um, I'll stop it. <coughs> Okay, um, so what do we think happened? Yeah. For some reason, I assume that, um, that Laura murdered Mrs. Jessel. And I read that. Wait, that who murdered Mrs. Jessel? Flora. Oh, Flora, sorry. Okay, yes. Huh. Um, so you really, you were really creeped out by this book. <laughs> she was coming back to because Flora murdered her. <laughs> um, does, is that consistent, though, with the way Flora appears um, in the only scene, or in the scene that we're going to look at, which is the scene when Miss Jessel appears to Flora and the governess, but not to Mrs. Gross? Um, does Flora look worried about Miss Jessel? Let's look. So let's go. Um, okay. Um, so let's just. Let's just ask about this. There was, so, there was so obviously no one else that the next moment I had lost my impression of her having accidentally said more than she meant. And I merely asked what I wanted to know. Did she see anything in the boy that wasn't right? She never told me. I had a scruple, but I overcame it. Was she careful, particular? What does that question mean? Was she careful, particular? 
Yeah. Did she do the job well? Like, was she, um, you know, with, like, it's it's a way of saying, like, was she not careless? Did mm -hmm. she not, you know, screw up? Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, was she cautious around him? Did she, did she sense that he was in danger? Okay, there, yeah. What about the word particular, though? When someone, this is not so much an Americanism as an Englishism, but I think we do have it in um, American speech also. What does it mean to say of someone that they're very particular? Yeah. That they like to have things a certain way, almost that they're sort of OCD. Okay. Um, they like to have things a certain way, yes, almost as though they're OCD. That is to say, the way they like it tends to be, um, you wouldn't be particular if you, if you were a slob. Um, you might like being a slob. You might want um, having, you, that may be the way you would want things, um, but it wouldn't make you particular. Particular means that you're, you're very detail-oriented. Um, if this is a reference, and this could sound, um, I mean, again, just think Downton Abbey. Um, if this conversation were occurring in Downton Abbey, somebody would be asking um, for a reference about someone else. You know, well, I don't know whether I can hire her. Can, is she careful, the particular? Um, you know, you, you can imagine Maggie Smith asking that. Um, and um, uh, what would it mean then in the context, because that is the context that the governess is asking this in, what, what would it mean in the context of a servant, you know, a, a sort of high-ish class on the servant scale, but still a servant at, um, at a country house like Bly? What, what, what would it mean for a governess? Would you want a governess who is careful, particular, for your children? Yeah, why? I mean, I feel as though kids are, I mean, they're such free spirits that you need someone who's going to be able to, like, rein them in a little bit. Like, not, you know, not harness complete, like, just the, you know, the freedom that you have as a child, but definitely to make sure they don't get hurt or watch, you know, like make sure they get their studies done. So you want someone who's constantly going to be aware. And I think you also need a heightened awareness around kids. Like yeah. if they're sleeping nearby and you hear like the slightest whimper, like to be able to wake up fast, yeah. go over there quickly. I think that that's very, very necessary. Okay, so good. So part what you're answering more is careful than particular, but you're answering the particular part also. What it would mean for a governess to be particular? It's something... Kids would be would be reasonably happy with a governess who is careful, um, reasonably. I mean, they might think she was too careful, but anyhow, reasonably. What it means for a governess to be particular is that she wouldn't let them get away with stuff that they would think didn't matter at all. So a particular governess, um, that's the OC um, um, D part, a particular governess would make sure they washed hands before every meal, that they did not come to dinner. Um, without having washed their hands, um, that they washed behind their ears, that they brushed, brushed and flossed. Um, she would be particular about things that you could get away with um, that you wouldn't have to do so scrupulously. Um, but nevertheless, um, it's partly inculcating, inculcating habits of scrupulousness and partly um, better to err on the side of making sure they do wash their hands um, every time. Um, so careful, so what the governess is doing when she explains that by careful she means particular, partly is that being careful in the sense of taking care that the children, you know, don't get run over by a tractor, um, that goes without saying. But is she subtle? 
in her sense of what they need and what they don't. Does she get let them get away with stuff, um, or doesn't she? Um, it's not clear that Mrs. Gross quite gets um, what that question means, um, because her answer is, about some things, yes, Mrs. Gross appeared to try to be conscientious. Now notice that, that the governess is partly describing herself. That is, when she says, was she careful, particular, the governess is explaining what she herself values. Um, as you would if you were asking someone for a reference. I mean, if you were asking, if you were checking references, and if you said of uh, the person who wants a job with you, um, well, is she careful, particular? The obvious answer is, if you want that person to get a job with the person asking you that question is, yes. Or, you know, when you, some of you guys are already having job interviews, if you were asked by an interviewer, are you careful, particular? Your answer should not be, nah, you know, I just go with the flow, dude. Um, uh, because in this job market, that's probably not the right thing to say. Um, so the question reveals something about the psychology of the questioner. Um, that's not a hard point, except that it's worth noticing that the governess's problem, if it is a problem, is that she's hyper-careful and hyper-particular. Um, so, that, so that asking this question um, again, is a kind of indication of what it is that the governess is going to be doing um, in the subsequent chapters. Then Mrs. Gross's answer, Mrs. Gross appeared to try to be conscientious. Conscientious is almost a synonym for careful dash particular. That is to say, it's, the t it's, it's what those two would be. In fact, that would be a good answer. If someone says, are you careful, particular, you could say, these are tips, you know. These are the, don't don't think that being an English major gives you no practical advice. Here's practical advice: If someone ever says to you in a job interview, "Are you careful? Particular?" You should say, "Well, if you mean am I conscientious? Yes. Um, if you mean am I an obsessive fool who is going to um, um, ruin your entire business by making sure that everything works out right? No. Um, but conscientious is, is the good version of that. But again, notice that it's that that's the that's the atmosphere that James is trying to um, um, put us in mind of. And then the answer is about some things, yes. And that's kind of a worrisome answer. Again, if someone asks me about you, whether you're careful, particular, and I ask, well, about some things, yes. And they say, but not about all. Um, if I answer, well, she's graduated, I won't tell tales, you won't get the job. Um, <laughs> at least to the extent that it depends on me, you won't get the job. Um, so there's something wrong there that Mrs. Gross doesn't want to say. Mrs. Gross appeared to try to be conscientious about some things, yes, but not about all, asks the governess. Again, she considered, well, miss, she's gone, I won't tell tales. Um, given the fact that the governess is telling us this tale, that's again a little thing to notice. James's effects are built up out of um, out of just subtle moments like this. None of which you have none of which you have to notice in particular, unless you're careful. Um, but which do build up over the course of the hundred pages. I quite understand your feeling. I hasten to reply, but I thought it after an instant not opposed to this concession. That is that she concedes that she understands that Mrs. Gross isn't going to tell tales. I thought it after an instant, not opposed to this concession to pursue, did she die here? Um, 
obviously the emphasis would be on here, not die. Did she die here? Well, no. Um, did she die here? Um, no, she went off. An odd turn of phrase um, that Mrs. Gross uses. Um, again, we may not notice that it's odd, partly because we're not British and partly because um, we're not used to talking to 19th century servants, um, or at least not used to the way an American living in England would imagine that 19th century servants talk to 19th century governesses, um, with his experience of both, but an experience um, where he's not either. Um, but went off is just a little bit elephant-like, and that's the point. Um, it's did she die here? If she said something like, um, "No, she would. No, she went home," it would be something quite different. But went off again. That makes the governess. That troubles the governess, as we see from the next paragraph. I don't know what there was in this brevity of Mrs. Gross's that struck me as ambiguous. Um, imagine. Went off to die? Asked the governess. Um, you've noticed, I think I told you this, but in case I didn't, it's too late, but I'll tell you anyhow. Um, one trick about reading Henry James is that whenever there's a change of speaker, there's a change of paragraph. And when there isn't a change of speaker, there isn't a change of paragraph. Sometimes, the turn of the screw isn't particularly hard this way. But in um, his late novels, which make the turn of the screw look like Cat in the Hat, um, in his late novels, um, when you read them, which you would blight your life if you didn't, um, but when you read them, you will find it really helpful to know that a change of paragraph means a change of speaker. And if you're in a single paragraph, it's a single speaker. That's an invariable rule in Henry James. Yeah. Isn't that generally true for yeah, but not always. That is to say, if, you, if you're mixing narrative and conversation, you might have a long paragraph that does that. That is, um, I, I saw her sitting at the bottom of the stairs as, um, the, as uh, the clouds swirled up and, and um, um, uh, blotted the few clouds that were left. Are you here, I asked. She looked up startled a little bit, and then as though she didn't see me, she put her face in her hands again and wept. Holly, I said. She looked up with a tear-stained face. Yes. What are you doing here, I said. If, if, so if you have a paragraph with a lot of narrative and only a little bit of dialogue interspersed, in George Eliot or in Dickens, you'll often get very long paragraphs where both, both speakers are speaking. Um, if you have Hemingway dialogue, where you just have um, um, sentences surrounded by quotation marks without even speech tags, um, then uh, you, you absolutely pay attention to the end of the quotation in the new paragraph. But in 19th century novels, you often have um, dialogue is just part of a narrative rather than what we tend to do when we show don't tell which is to have as little narrative as possible um, surrounding the dialogue. Um, here it's not hard. You know, here what you have are, are, are short speeches in very short paragraphs. Um, there are places where it is hard, um, including towards the end, and that's something that we'll look at um, as soon as Rachel finishes. Um, so, no, I don't want to put you on the spot, but just be careful. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, as you read it, though, be careful in particular. Um, so, I don't know what there was in this brevity of Mrs. Gross's struck me as ambiguous. Went off to die. 
Mrs. Gross looked straight out of the window, but I felt that hypothetically I had a right to know what young persons engaged for Bly were expected to do. That is, um, is it, yeah, if you're going to die, are you supposed to leave? Um, this would actually have been a good thing to quote in the Supreme Court yesterday. Like, what is your job description and um, do you, what, what kind of um, disability or health care or burial insurance do you get um, if you're working at Bly? Um, so she was just curious, hypothetically, you know, if I were to die, would I have to leave? Um, and there's good humor in this. Uh, Mrs. Ruffs looked straight out of the window, but I felt that hypothetically I had a right to know what young persons engaged for Bly were expected to do. Um, what is that part of your job description? Because, you know, we won't pay you if you die here. Um, <laughs> She was taken ill, you mean, and went home, which would be a reasonable thing, the governess is suggesting, um, for Mrs. Gross to be saying. Um, she was not taken ill. Now we get a long, this may be the longest speech Mrs. Gross gives in the book. She was not taken ill so far as appeared. In this house, she left it at the end of the year to go home, as she said, for a short holiday, to which the time she'd put in had certainly given her a right. So now we know she did die at home after leaving for a short holiday. The question is, what does a short holiday mean? This is another 19th century question. Um, we know that Miles is home for the holidays. Um, holidays mean um, when you go off, when you go home for a holiday, we're talking several months. Um, a short holiday is, it could be three months if you've been working for several years at a house. It's not um, a week or two. Um, so she went off, you know, let's say for the summer. It's that sort of thing. Um, she was not taken ill so far as appeared in this house. She left it at the end of, the, well, it's not at the summer. It's, um, why, look at that, Christmas time. Um, she left it at the end of the year to go home, and she said for a short holiday, to which the time she put in, it certainly given her a right. We had then a young woman, a nursemaid, who had stayed on and who was a good girl and clever, and she took the children all together for the interval but our young lady never came back. And at the very moment I was expecting her, I heard from the master that she was dead. I turned this over. But of what? He never told me, but please, miss, said Mrs. Gross, I must get to my work. Um, so Mrs. Gross really doesn't want to. He never told me. Does that mean she doesn't know? <laughs> Good. You guys are twigging to this. Um, yeah. Um, when I read this, I kind of thought, Especially with later when they talk about Mrs. Miss Jessel and Mr. Quint, mm -hmm. that she got pregnant and left. Yep. And that's why she went off instead of going home. Okay. And then she died. Okay, good. Yeah. I feel like that would be really interesting too, because I feel like in that line, something that bothered me or like, I don't know, something that sort of stuck with me is like the very moment I was expecting her. Like, that's a weird. I don't know. The fact that it's at the very moment she was expecting her to arrive, that's when... Exactly. It's just an interesting turn of phrase if you're thinking of giving birth to a child. Yeah. So let's say that she goes off on a three-month holiday, to which the time she is um, uh, spent in the house certainly entitles her. Um, so three months when? Where would she be in her pregnancy? If she says, I'm going to go off now for three months. Sorry? The last trimester. Yeah, last trimester, six months, roughly speaking. Um, that's when um, you're still not showing if it's a first pregnancy, generally. 
um, in a first pregnancy, um, you generally, especially wearing the kind of clothes they wore in the 19th century, um, you wouldn't be showing. Um, but you would be on the verge of showing at about six months, um, six or seven months. So she knows she's pregnant. Um, she decides to go off for a vacation and plans to come back when? After she's given birth and done what with the baby? Yeah, given it to a foundling hospital, giving, given it to a home for the daughters of, of unwed mothers. Um, did you have an alternative? I don't know. I just kind of assumed she would have killed it. <laughs> she's so oh, because <laughs> she's so awful. I don't think so. I think she would have had an abortion if that was her plan. Um, it's not that hard. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just um, not only is it not that hard, but in 1830, there's no moral opprobrium attached to it. Um, the church only. Um, decided that abortion was illegal in the um, second half of the 19th century, that abortion was a sin. Um, before that, it wasn't. Um, it's a fairly recent um, uh, sin against the Catholic, ch against Catholic doctrine. Um, it, no, it's, I don't, I think even now, I'm not sure it is a sin in, um, in Anglicanism. Um, but it's certainly not the, the it, it certainly doesn't have anything like um, the sense of you're doing the worst thing you could possibly do that it now has in Catholic doctrine. Um, but in the, in the first half of the 19th century, it just wasn't against, um, it wasn't illegal in, mo in uh, the US. Um, I don't think it was illegal in any state in the US in, um, before 1860 or so. And it was not um, counter to church teaching. Um, may have been slightly because you weren't being fruitful and multiplying, but it wasn't um, regarded as murder. Um, so she goes off, she decides she's going to have, it's, it looks like she goes off and decides she's going to have the baby. Um, and the, your sense that, oh, to have it and then kill it, um, well, to have it and then to disown it, yeah. Um, but to have it and then kill it, that's not so clear. Whether the baby's alive or not, we don't know, but it seems pretty clear that she dies um, um, in childbed, um, that she dies either giving birth or of um, post-purple fever, um, which is, you know, unfortunately common, um, especially before Lister um, uh, told people to wash their hands. <laughs> Um, which made a big difference. Yeah. Did Peter Quint die before or after she After, after. yeah. Um, so um, here's one more dead person. If the baby dies, here's one more dead person. Um, I would say given the fact that nothing is said about the baby, it's probably the case that they both die, um, which is very common. Um, otherwise, James would have found some way to suggest something about the baby. Um, but that, that's, not, that's not necessarily true. The interesting thing, though, is that the baby would be the same age as Douglas's sister. Um, that is, it's 10 years later when Douglas meets the governess and his sister is presumably 10 years old. Um, so the, it seems like there's some connection being made with the governess taking over 
from Miss Jessel, both at Bly and now taking care of another child who is the same age as Miss Jessel's um, presumed child. Yeah. Do we know in particular that Douglas's sister is ten at the time? Um, I don't. She could be a fairly wide range of ages. Right? Yeah, um, but she I could think. Be up to yeah, she, 16 is pushing it um, because you wouldn't really have a governess at that age. Um, again, it's, it's, a, it's this question of governess versus um, other kinds of caretakers. Um, but I suppose she could. Um, but, but if Miles is 10, is 10 or 11 or so, um, and if we're getting the sense of that's the sort of age that... Um, that she's a governess for, and if Douglas is 20, um, it makes it hard to think of Douglas's sister as much under 10, but also hard to think of Douglas's sister as much over 10. I don't want to make too much of this, um, but I think that um, to think of that connection is to see it as a possibility, and I think that's all um, that we ought to do. Um, it's hard for me to believe that that wasn't somewhere in James's mind. Um, that the gov who the governess is taken care of, but um, I also don't think he cares very much whether we make that connection or not. I think it's, again, just a very, to use his word, it's a very subtle touch um, given to the picture. Um, one thing you shouldn't do in your life is read a lot of Henry James and then start sounding like him. Um, <laughs> that actually is a danger, believe it or not. Um, after he died, his nephew, do people know who William James is? Um, so William James is basically the greatest American psychologist. He was Henry's brother. Oh, you didn't know that? I knew who he was, but I didn't realize they were. Yeah, yeah. The the standard joke about them is that um, Henry James is a novelist whose whose novels sound like like they're written by a psychologist, and William James is a psychologist whose psychology um, reads like a novel. Um, they're both fabulous writers, but William James is a whole lot um, more transparent. <laughs> in his prose. Um, at any rate, William's son, after Henry died, um, William died earlier. And do people know who Alice James is, their sister? Um, yeah. Right, is anyone taking that? Um, anyhow, Alice James is also quite an amazing person. Um, um, what survives, I mean, what she wrote was a diary and letters, but they're, they're quite an amazing diary and quite amazing letters. When Henry was, um, uh, she lived in London with her um, um, partner and was about as openly lesbian as you could be in London in the 1880s and 1890s. And um, Henry Jane, and Henry, she was also an invalid. She died very young of breast cancer. Um, but Henry was an utterly devoted big, big brother to her, and you can see this from the diaries. She has an amazing entry, I think it's in 1891, when she knows that she's sick, and she says, well, William's book is coming out this year, and Henry's play is about to be produced, um, and, um, and if I can manage to die this year, it will be a banner year for the Jameses. <laughs> um, so um, she, she had a kind of acerbic, way with her. But I think that a whole lot of what Henry, um, who was also gay, um, Henry's sense of um, the depth and power of um, 
women's um, uh, experience of the world and um, of their expressive possibilities. A lot of that came from how close he was to his sister. Um, so at any rate, William's son wrote a little ditty after um, about 10 or 15 years after Henry died, um, a little song which went, um, oh, there'll be no algebra in heaven or remembering dates and names, but only playing upon golden harps and reading Henry James. Um, so what can happen is you get so sunk in Henry James that um, that's all you ever read. And that would be fine. That's a lifetime's worth of reading. Um, but then you start sounding like him, and that can be unfortunate. Um, nevertheless, it does give a particular touch to our picture, um, this idea that Miss um, Jessel's daughter, we don't know, but let's say daughter, um, is a kind of substitute for Flora, or maybe dies too, so that Flora is the living ghost of the dead child. Um, that's a not uncommon and very powerful idea. Um, that is that the living child should actually be, in a strange way, the ghost of a dead child. Generally, we think of it the other way around. Um, but if there's that kind of transference. One place that this is a famous um, psychological way you can screw your children up um, is if parents have a child who dies and then they have another child later and they give the later child the same name as the dead child, that's awful for the living child um, because the living child is then made into the ghost of a dead child. That's a real world thing that happens. There's an SVU about that. Kind really? They, uh, they had a dead child and they like adopted another child and like, they dressed her up just like her and yeah. gave her the same clothes. Yeah, so that's, that's an example of that. The living ghost of the dead child, that's also what Hamlet's about. Um, Shakespeare had a son named Hamlet who died um, at the age of eight and um, he then writes a play in which he plays um, the dead Hamlet but not the, not the child Hamlet, the father Hamlet um, and the living Hamlet is on stage so it's as though he's making himself the ghost, he wishes he were dead and his son were alive and he writes a play of wish fulfillment that way where Hamlet, the son, is dead, and Shakespeare, who plays the ghost, plays the ghost. Um, and, but, but what we can say then is that Hamlet in the play is the living but fictional ghost of Shakespeare's dead son in reality. Um, so, and I told you guys about the um, dream of the burning child, which I think Elizabeth Bishop is thinking of. That's another example of that. That is, the child is alive while the father is asleep. Father, can't you see that I'm burning? Um, and it's as though the father becomes the ghost at that moment because he's the one who's asleep, um, who looks like um, what people say the child must look like um, as it's lying um, in its cerements before its burial. Oh, he looks so peaceful. He looks like he's asleep. Um, the father then takes that upon himself. I will sleep. I will be as though um, the dead person who looks as though he's asleep. And when I do that, the child wakes up. And the child says, Father, can't you see that I'm burning? Um, so that's, uh, you probably didn't remember the whole thing from Freud, but that's part of what's amazing about that dream. 
is that by dreaming he can dream the child is alive at the cost of himself being dead to the world so that the apparently living child in the dream is the ghost of well that's what ghosts are it's the living living presence of someone dead um, really that's what ghosts are yeah just for the purpose of comparison in the last 10 minutes can we look at the scene where they describe Peter Quinn's death sure um, I'm not sure that's a, as interesting a scene no, but right. yeah uh, can you find it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, chapter six. Um, so, how does she know? Um, how does Peter Quint come up to begin with? She sees someone. And she describes the person she's seen to Mrs. Gross. And then Mrs. Gross says, yeah, I know who that is. Um, it's Peter Quint. Well, says the governess, what was Peter Quint doing there? Um, you know, where, where is he now? And then Mrs. Gross ends the chapter, Peter Quint is dead. Dum -da -dum. Okay, so chapter six, um, there's a paragraph begins, um, a rigid control from the next day was, as I've said, to follow them. Um, it's about halfway, it's, it's about five paragraphs before, the, before chapter seven begins. A rigid control from the next day was, have people found it? If you, if you have the page, say. 44. 44, okay. A rigid control from the next day was, as I've said, to follow them. Yet how often and how passionately for a week we came back together to the subject. Um, that is, she and Mrs. Gross, her confidant. Much as we discussed it that Sunday night, I was in the immediate later hours in a special, for it may be imagined whether I slept, still haunted with the shadow of something she had not told me. Um, so she doesn't sleep, but she's haunted by a shadow. Not a ghost, but a shadow. That is what the governess hasn't told her. Um, I myself had kept back nothing, but there was a word Mrs. Gross had kept back. I was sure, moreover, by morning, that this was not from a failure of frankness, but because on every side there were fears. It seems to me, indeed, in retrospect, that by the time the morrow sun was high, I had restlessly read into the fact before us almost all the meaning, facts before us, almost all the meaning they were to receive from subsequent and more cruel occurrences. What they gave me above all was just the sinister figure of the living man. The dead one would keep a while. And of the months he had continuously passed at Bly, which added up made a formidable stretch. Um, so the dead one would keep for a while. I don't have to worry about him yet, although soon I would, because the dead one is the ghost. But now she's remembering or thinking about or resuscitating um, in narrative the living man the months he had continuously passed at Bly, which added up, made a formidable stretch. The limit of this evil time, and that, by the way, again, is, is giving you some sense of how much time there was um, for Miss Jessel um, to get pregnant and to realize she's pregnant and to um, choose to leave. The limit of this evil time had arrived only when, on the dawn of a winter's morning, Peter Quint was found by a laborer going to going to early work, stone dead on the road from the village. A catastrophe explained, 
superficially at least, by a visible wound to his head, such a wound as might have been produced, and as on the final evidence had been, by a fatal slip in the dark and after leaving the public house on the steepish icy slope, a wrong path altogether at the bottom of which he lay. The icy slope, the turn mistaken at night and in liquor accounted for much. Practically in the end and after the inquest and boundless chatter for everything, but there had been matters in his life, strange passages and perils, secret disorders, vices more than suspected that would have accounted for a good deal more. So what is she saying? Or what is she not saying? In a, sorry? Somebody could have murdered him. Somebody could have murdered him is one possibility. It's certainly the case that she's saying this may be all there was to it. But again, notice that everything in the story is here for a reason. That's the principle of sufficient reason here, that um, she could easily, or, or James could easily have said, um, Peter Quint was found by labor going early to work. He'd slipped in the dark on an icy slope um, in, on a strange winter's day and died. But what she says was a catastrophe explained superficially at least, meaning readers, she doesn't mean this, James means it. What she means is I think there might be something else. What James means is that's really, um, don't just think, oh, well, that explains it. Um, a catastrophe explained superficially, at least, by a visible wound to his head, such a wound as might have been produced, and as on the final evidence had been, by a fatal slip in the dark and after leaving the public house on the steepish icy slope, a wrong path altogether, at the bottom of which he lay. Why does he take a wrong path? He's drunk, but he drinks a lot. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, what, why is he drinking so much? His girlfriend died. Okay, yeah. Um, and his child, maybe, also. Um, and he's pretty grim. What's the other possible explanation here? You, you came up with murder, um, but nothing later suggests that. That is, there's no hint of a murderer around. There's no hint of, uh, you think there is? No. I mean, flora. I <laughs> that Flora, my God. I mean, like Mr. Rosenz, he was too free with people. Maybe he got too free with the wrong person. Yeah, I um, but again, it I think. It seems like what they're suggesting, like saying all of these vices that were more than suspected. Yeah. Um, well, the vi clearly the main vice that's more than suspected is that he and um, Mrs. Gross have been having sex and she gets pregnant. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, Mrs. Gross, too, for all we know. Uh, Miss Jessel. But again, that, that's not... This isn't really a spoiler, so... But um, something like that happens in Downton Abbey, right? Um, I don't know what Downton Abbey is. You talk about it a lot. <laughs> you don't know what it is. It's famous right now. It's really popular. Is that Netflix? Yeah, it, so it, it's, it's... Do you know what Upstairs Downstairs is? No? Is that also a show? Yeah. Um, lost? Okay. All right. Buffy? Okay. So imagine, um, um, like Lost and like Buffy, there are various episodes of a narrative that get broadcast every week, and there's kind of long-form narrative. That's about as close as they are. Um, no, I'd say it's a little bit like Lost. It's, it's instead of an island, it's a, it's a country estate, um, and... 
Instead of polar bears, there's um, <laughs> the Turkish people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and instead of the smoke monster, there's burnt food. Um, and it's essentially the same thing. Um, Downton Abbey is, is basically an incredibly gorgeous um, English country house that is um, under pressure from the coming of the 20th century. Um, the lord of the manor is an almost perfect person. Um, except he's a little old-fashioned and a little blind to what's going on, which includes her, the fact that his daughter um, turns out not to be a virgin. Um, and the person, um, and not only that, but, um, well, this isn't really a spoiler, except it's really a spoiler, so I won't tell you. But it's fun. I mean, watch the first episode or so, and, if, and you might get into it or you might not. Yeah. This summer, I mean, it's 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 easily parodied, but quite delightful. And Maggie Smith is absolutely the best person in it. Um, do you know who she is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's fantastic. This is you know Maggie Smith at close to eighty. What's a weekend? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's already done with like two seasons. Yeah. There's a third season with Shirley MacLaine is going to be the. I know. Um, is going to be the really interesting person in season number three. My mom's going to be Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine from Hitchcock to Downton Abbey. Um, if only they could also get her brother. Um, so, um, I think the suggestion is suicide. That is, that um, whether through a kind of um, reckless um, willingness to die, but you know, he takes a path up a steep, icy slope. Um, the suggestion, I think, is that he jumped, um, not that he slipped. And um, that would say something, you know, pretty interesting about both of them that one, that a woman gets pregnant and it's a disaster, and she leaves. I mean, I think I think if it is suicide, um, then we should actually have a lot more. Um, I don't know sympathy for Miss Jessel and for Peter Quint than we do if we only think of them as their ghosts. As their ghosts, they're really creepy. But if they don't, if there are no ghosts, if that's just the governess projecting, um, then there's a real tragedy that occurred at this house before. Um, that the governess is uh, misunderstanding as these two people who are who are devious and um, and um, uh, kind of psychic kidnappers want these children. Remember, the question is: Does whatever Miles does at school is that what boys do, or is that what devil spawn do? Um, he gets kicked out of school, but the governess is sure the masters again, that word, the masters at school, as opposed to the master of Bly, that the masters are wrong to kick him out of school. And when Miles finally tells us, all he says is, well, I said things to people, and they repeated them, and eventually this came around to the masters, yes. So what is it that he said to people that would get him kicked out? One possibility is that he said, you know, um, I know what adults do, um, because in the house where I was taking care of, these adults did this thing, um, and um, they weren't married or anything, but it was you know, kind of really interesting. That's what kids talk about. Um, and the masters may be really unhappy about um, 
Miles a little bit precociously, but like a boy who is a boy for anyone, giving the facts of life. Or it might be that Miles said, yes, look, I will summon, a, summon Peter Quint for you, and the other kids went screaming to the master saying, that's too scary. But more likely, it just sounds like Miles is one of those, one of those very knowing children in, um, in middle school. Um, you know, the first, um, I remember being shocked in seventh grade when one of my classmates, when we were having our, our um, science class, was hijacked by an anti-drug um, period. And then our science teacher said, so have any of you tripod, you won't get into trouble. And it was like, what? Are you kidding? In this life? Um, and then this one girl in seventh grade raised her hand. And I just could not believe it, that there was a druggie, an addict, in my class. Um, and um, it could be that sort of totally normal middle school behavior, which nevertheless shocks the wrong people when it comes out. OK, we will, um, you will finish the, the book, and we will talk about the two appearances, the two critical appearances of the ghost, Miss Jessel and Peter Quint. Miss Jessel, um, a couple of chapters in chapter 19 um, before the end of the book, and then Peter Quint at the very end of the book. So finish it if you haven't, and see you tomorrow. And reread, yeah.